This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Lynn Freeman, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. How to help children make sense of the global pandemic. Psychologist Saab Johal is my guest. He says it's important for parents, grandparents and teachers to have tools to help young ones find their way, whether it's through play, stories, art or other creative means. So we're keen to hear from you on what's worked for you, your family stories, or if you have questions for Saab over the next 15, 20 minutes or so, you can email us 9 to noon at rnz.co.nz. You can text us on 2101. It's a really important issue. So keen to get your feedback. Um, kia ora Saab, welcome to the programme. Kia ora Lynn, thanks for having me. So difficult, isn't it, to explain to children, though they're much more savvy you know, than, than I was at their age, much more world aware of what's happening out there when I guess adults themselves are, are a bit at sea. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, facts and what's going on uh, from an information perspective is only part of how we make sense of what's happening to us. Actually, what we're wired to do is to create stories. And we use those facts, we use feelings, we use impressions, we use our interactions with other people and the other stories that we hear too. And we create those narratives to make sense and make meaning. And often that happens in the space between people, between parents and children, teachers and children, teachers and parents, grandparents, all those people in the communities and in cultures. But in order to do that, in order to tell a story, we, we need to be able to take, uh, have the ability to zoom out, to take a wider perspective. And that's hard to do, like you say, when we're stressed, when we're feeling fragmented, when we're trying to piece together information from many different sources ourselves. And so what we need is we need other people to help us with our collective experiences. And that's why when I was preparing for the show today, and as you've asked, I thought it would be useful to ask people to share their own stories because often it's our collective cultures that help us to make sense of our experience and we can then learn from each other. Why is it important to help children to process this event and give it meaning and not just assume either that they're not that aware or that it'll be sorted out at school or they'll be fine? Yeah, so we know that they are aware because, I mean, you'll have had experience hanging around with children or if you're a parent or your child. Children have bat ears. They hear everything that's going on. Um, they they tune into conversations that we perhaps think that they're not listening to. They, they know what's good. They have a good idea as to what's going on. And often it can feel very confronting for them. And so stories and play in particular is another way for children to process what's going on, the stressful emotions and experiences, what they're hearing in a way that perhaps is a little bit distant. It's not dealing with the fact itself, but it's dealing with it one step removed. So it almost helps children to regulate their mood when they're finding experiences overwhelming, because through pretend play, storytelling, role playing, they can get a little bit of distance from their immediate experience and almost pretend like it's happening to somebody else or in a story to another character experience it less intensely and that way it's kind of a a runway towards integrating that experience more fully so that they can actually get in touch with what is actually happening. Is it more important then that the children are expressing their views than perhaps a parent or a guardian or a teacher being a little bit concerned that they don't have the answers? You know if the children are raising questions in this do they need to have some kind of response to it? 
Yeah, I think one of the things it's important to do when you're thinking about how you're playing with a child or how you're responding to something that your child is asking you, or even if you're hearing children who perhaps have got some of the facts wrong, is that you're led by your child. And perhaps um, the immediate time when you hear that misrepresentation or something that's gone wrong is not the time to perhaps correct it, but just bear it in mind. And when the opportunity is there, add the new information in a way that feels safe, and then see how it comes up in the play again. One of the things we have to watch out for when children are playing and they're kind of thinking about difficult topics is that when they get stuck and there's no resolution to that thing that's coming up in play. And we know this, say, for if we the studies that have been done on children that have been hospitalized and going through surgery, and children who can perhaps think about that and incorporate that experience of being in a hospital into their play by doing things like performing surgeries on their teddy bears, for example, they tend to experience less anxiety than those children who don't play like this. And we know that children who go through war experience as well, they may reenact battle or fight scenes in their play. And so what we know is that actually children play with what they know about uh, and it reflects what they're experiencing in the world around them and what they see in the media and what they hear from conversations amongst adults. So it's a way of processing. But when you're joining in or you're witnessing that play, be careful not to intervene too early and just Use it as almost like a window of understanding as to what's going on in that child's world, because often what they what you see in play is something that they may not be able to articulate directly to you if you ask them. We have a text in from Tara regarding COVID-19. She says, my kids have been asked at school to draw pictures and write about their fears about COVID. This makes it very real and even highlights the issue in their conscious even more. Is this necessary? And what are the impacts of making our children do this? It feels like a project, kids are turning this situation into a project like reviewing Anne Frank or, or the treaty without considering that this can create a culture of fear-mongering. And you'd really like to know your views on that. Mm. Well, I think, you know, that's a good example, the Anne Frank's diary of a young girl. It can help, say, for one example, it can help children talk about perhaps feeling trapped. Um, but I think that then there needs to be almost another step in terms of, well, what do we do with these feelings? What do we do with these fears? I mean, one of the issues, one of the things that you can highlight there is that actually it's quite a common shared experience so that people don't feel alone. When we talk about fears, often we can feel like we're the only ones. But actually what we may find is that actually around the country, we have a very common set of fears that are going on. And then through sharing, well, what do we do with fear? What do we do with anxiety? What have we learned from other things that we've been anxious about, about how do we deal with that? So I, I guess, yeah, I would agree in terms of naming is really powerful, but it's probably not the end of the process. Naming helps you to get control of what an emotion feels like, and then we can articulate it. But then it's moving on to the next step of, and how do we resolve that? Or is it something that we need to learn to live with? And if so, how do we do that? What can we draw from our other experience or listening to other people's stories that we can draw from that will help us cope with that fear? Psychologists clearly will be studying 2020 and its impact on people well into the future. Um, What do you think will be seen as the biggest impact on children? psychologically? 
It's really interesting, and I, I guess it's all pretty hypothetical at the moment. I think what will be interesting is that when people who perhaps use social media a lot, and we many of us do these days, start getting presented with our memories, our Facebook memories that get presented a year later. And then we have this unfolding story as to what happened to us and how we experienced it at the time. And that may include our children as well and our children's stories and our relationships with our children. So I guess that there's one kind of like um, way of looking at uh, that in retrospect. But I guess one of the things that um, we'll be thinking about is things like school. Um, and the experiences that children have had perhaps being away from school and being away from their peers. But now we're in a very privileged position in New Zealand in that life is pretty much at level one, although we need to be vigilant pretty much back to normal. One of the biggest issues, I think, is then us understanding what's going on in the rest of the world. And for the 20% of New Zealanders that have been born overseas, then understanding what's going on for our relatives and our friends and our family that are stuck overseas and how we integrate that experience for ourselves and our children and our families. I think that then becomes a really interesting story and something that we will be looking quite carefully at as it unfolds over the next year or two or three. Yeah, I mean, as we, in decades ahead, uh, reflect on our time in lockdown, for, uh, for many it was a dream time, uh, it was insulated and safe at home. I've got a great niece in England who just can't read enough books, so she's very happy over there because their lockdown's been going on for months and a reduction perhaps in uh, anxiety related to going to school. And for others, of course, particularly those social kids, lockdown was anything um, but a dream, more of a nightmare. So there's quite a split there, isn't there? Yeah, there is. So I guess it's not how the coronavirus might make an appearance in children's stories or in their play, but what happens in the story that matters more. So yes, for, for some, it, they'll look back at it on a, on a dream time. But then perhaps one of the things that I've been thinking about is almost asking children and as a little bit of an exercise to what they would tell their older self. If they were had a message that they could send their older self right now about what they're experiencing right now and how they think that their older self might look back on that. It's a really interesting little uh, project, I think, about trying to almost like write it down in a little letter that you might send to yourself in the future that really helps you to kind of really nail down the core of that experience. And then you can start building stories around that. Uh, what about play? We were talking before about art, and that's you know that's a quite quite an obvious one to go to. You know, encourage the children to draw if they can. Um, but how important is play in this and coming up with some ideas or scenarios? I think it's really important. Like I said before, I think it's one of the ways that children kind of act out what it is that they're, it's going on for them, which they may not be able to articulate in language. So, you know, you might find that your child needs to put on a cape and turn the virus into a, a bad guy or a bad girl uh, in their superhero make-believe. And that, that gives them almost like a bit of a sense of anxiety. Somehow they vanquish this. Or, you know, pretend play where you gather your, your um, stuffed toys and put them in a box and actually this is their managed isolation room. But actually they have some control over that rather than feeling like no, they have no control over, over to what's going on. And then, you know, we see other things going on with children playing you know, things like maybe COVID tag or pretending to be sick or playing doctor and patient. All of these are ways for children and young people to make sense as to what's going on in their world. And I guess one of the things that we need to, to watch out for, even though it feels perhaps disturbing for us, 
is really understanding that this is a way of getting some insight and taking the child's lead around what's going on. And that's good because it helps perhaps parents to escape from reality for a minute, but it also shows the child that you're entering into their world rather than them having to live or make sense of a world that feels quite scary for them. So you entering into their pretend play world will help them to work out their emotions and fears if they see you reacting in a safe, contained, pretend space. So entering into that play world as much as possible, I think, is really valuable. I heard from a listener saying, as a teacher, I used glitter glue on uh, the kids' hands to demonstrate transmission and to explain how tiny germs were. That's creative. Messy, messy, but creative. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I guess one of the things that we struggle with uh, when we're thinking about risks is when they're invisible uh, and and they're abstracts, right? Even though we know that they're real. But actually for children, it's doubly hard. So making it concrete and visible and showing how things spread from one place to another is a really interesting way of making sure that you're teaching them skills that help to keep them safe in, in a safe, contained, playful way as well. Yeah, this is all, in many ways, making sense of it now, but creating creating memories for those young minds. Yeah, I mean, I think journaling helps um, children as much as it can help their parents. You know, perhaps thinking about, you know, what's their experience like as it unfolds on a day-by-day basis. But I think you don't have to stick to the written format. You know, video journaling can be really useful too. Um, you know, kids are really good at vlogging these days. They know how, how it works. They know how to edit. They know how to um, save and reflect back on that. And it's something that actually could be really precious in terms of thinking about, well, what was our experience like, not just as uh, as a child, but as a family or as a school, uh, as a community, as we progress through this coronavirus timeline, because it all helps to create meaning. You know, having a review six months later and looking back at your video and saying, well, you know, what what's changed for you now? Do you still feel like that? Or is it something that... Um, you um, reflect upon and think that actually that just doesn't feel like how I feel like at all now. You know, all of these things are tools for reflection and, and helps to thicken the story as we move forward in time because we have more material to call upon. You know, when we think about our memories, often they can be really um, fuzzy when we think back in time. Uh, and that's kind of a good thing that they can be quite rose-tinted. But actually recording those memories so we've got something solid to call upon, um, we don't know how valuable that's going to be in the future. I suspect that, you know, when we have the choice as to whether we want to look at it or not, we might see it as quite valuable or we can choose not to look at it at all. Sab Jahal, thank you so much for your time.